Episode 21 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu Mouthguards are the most breathable, lightweight, and durable mouthguards on the market. If you are involved in a hobby, activity, sport, or profession that requires a mouthguard, and you're not wearing a Sisu Mouthguard, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing yourself dirty. Do yourself a service. But don't just take my word for it. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. You'll see they're astonishingly thin, obnoxiously bright, and boomerang-shaped. Boomerang-shaped? Oi! Good day, mate! Let's put another scrimp on the barbie! That's not a knife. This is a knife. But don't confuse things. They're an American company. And here at Top Turtle MMA Podcast, we support America, and you should too. Episode 21 is brought to you by Top Turtle MMA. Damn it! Episode 21 is brought to you by CSU Mouthguards. We are rolling. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast, Episode 21. Thank you so much for getting us in your eardrums, however it is you do that. We, of course, are available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, and the mothership, MMA-Manifesto.com. I am one of your two co-hosts, David Tremonti. Of course, I am joined by Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, the co-editor of the aforementioned MMA-Manifesto.com. If you head on over to the website, besides checking out some cool articles, uh, some of Gumby's writings, you can also click on the podcast tab and get our archives. We're 20 episodes deep now. We've interviewed Mark Hunt, We've interviewed Art Davey, the original UFC owner, and just last week we interviewed the always awesome Matt Brown. If you want to reach us, you can follow us on Twitter at TopTurtleMMA or old school, email us, TopTurtleMMA at gmail.com. And now with my least favorite part of doing a podcast, all the introductions, all the places you can catch us, all the thank you for listenings, although I really do appreciate you listening, with all the heavy lifting out of the way, we can now start the show. Gumby, how are you? I'm good. Uh, good. Good week of fights. Uh, a couple of uh, unexpected uh, results there. I, I was kind of a little bummed out about our, our boy Aljamain and his performance. Ah, oh, man, Aljamain. I really was too, obviously. We're both big Aljamain fans. And, uh, you know, there have been so many Monday morning quarterbacks. And now by the time we're taping this, because I was on vacation, we're going to be Thursday morning quarterbacks. Here's what I wanted to say about Aljamain. Tell me if you feel me on this. Aljamain is a grappler first, which I appreciate the fuck out of. Yeah, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think in that division especially, when you look at who's on top of it with Dominic Cruz, the inventor of Neo Footwork, and then TJ Dillashaw, who's like almost a not-as-good carbon copy, um, you know what? Aljamain Sterling is really going to need to improve on his striking. Yeah, the, you know, and it's it's interesting you say that too, because when I thought about you know, who I thought could challenge, you know, because there were a couple of good bantamweight fights, too. The, the main event, obviously, being the, the next best one. We'll get to that in and, a second. And we'll get to that in a second. But when I thought about who could challenge Dominic Cruz or, you know, TJ Dillashaw, Uriah Faber, whoever's at the top of the division when this all shakes out. Please, let's not say th- that Faber is going to be on top no, of this I, Okay, so I don't think it's going to be Faber. But uh, spoiler alert for when we, we do our card breakdown later. It, I think Cruz. Um, but, you know, obviously Dillashaw or Asensio could could be the next in line. Sure. But as far as these young guys, I was trying to think of who I would be the most comfortable fighting one of those guys. And I, I think it's Garbrand just based on his striking ability. Yeah. He's got a lot of pressure. He seems to cut angles really well. Uh, and obviously going into the card, I thought it was Almeida just because of his, his punching power and his aggression. Um, and it's actually funny. Well, do you want to talk about Garbrandt and Almeida now? Sure. Yeah, so here's the funny thing about Garbrandt and Almeida. I, I said that before the fight that I would pick Almeida because he takes too many – Garbrandt takes too many punches. Almeida seemed to, like, use his face as a fucking – as a mitt, like, as, as, a, as a punching mitt. Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, I, Gar, uh, Almeida gets hit, too. That was one thing I kind of regretted not saying last week when we were doing our breakdown. Well, um, I know he gets hit, too, but he was also better, I felt like, at, like, rolling with his, his hits. You know what I mean? Like, his his head always turned at the right angle. Yeah, he had gotten, like, stunned once or twice, but never all that bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, Although, pick, I mean... Pick it, pick pick it, it. put one on his chin. Yeah. Yeah, but apart from that, I, I couldn't think of another time where he looked like he had seriously got hit. Whereas, you know, like I said before, Marcus Brimage tagged Cody Garbrandt pretty good when they fought. Right. Well, Garbrandt, I do have to say, I think for that division at 135 also has um, a lot of power. 
Yeah, so, he's got a lot of power. He's definitely got a better build than Almeida. You know, Almeida's kind of like lanky and long um, and doesn't have like the wrestling chops, which is another reason why I thought that, you know, Garbrandt would be a better contender too is because, you know, he's he's got a, a little bit of wrestling chops. He's going to be able to try at least to de- – at least try to defend what Dominic Cruz would have in the takedown game. Whether or not he's actually successful or not would be a whole other thing, but he would at least have the basis to fight off of that. Yeah, so I think, you know, obviously we're, we're reacting off what we just saw on Saturday, um, but if you asked us today who has the best chance at unseating the king, Dominic Cruz, and make no mistake, he is the king of that division. Yeah, he's been the king of that division since it started. It, it's Garbrandt right now, and I want to just take this back, though, to our boy Al Jermaine. You know, he has some flashy, fun kind of kicks, but to be honest with you, they create noise. They don't really do much. It kind of can keep someone at bay for a second, but it's something that Caraway and I don't like Caraway. Uh, but Caraway said before the fight that, you know, I know for a fact Al Jermaine doesn't like to stand and trade, and I think he was right. Well, um, yeah, and I think that's why, you know, Al Jermaine lost the fight. He also gassed a little bit, too, after the body triangle. That, that's definitely true, and and I think the the really good point about what you just said about Caraway too, is Caraway realized really quickly that all that he was throwing was just that. It was flash to try to keep him off of just his game, flash, yeah. and he moved forward through it, and I think that, you know, if you think to Sarah Longo, guys, and I know you're a big Sarah Longo fan, yep. um, Think about why Chris Weidman lost his last title fight. I mean, he decided to the throw spinning a spinning back, back kick, kick yeah. in the middle of a fucking fight where <laughs> it was pretty close. You yeah. know, like everybody remembers that fight being Luke Rockhold on top of him, ground and pounding his, you know, skull into the mat. But it was pretty close until he was like, well, maybe I'll try a spinning back kick and just got crushed. Yeah. So, I mean, like maybe there that's something that they're trying to integrate but it seems like it just burned two of their fighters um I'm, not that the the rock old weidman fight was recently but. I, I actually did think the same thing and i'm a huge sarah longo huge uh henzo guy actually got a chance to go to henzo's academy last night while i was traveling in new york but um i was thinking that as like i do think longo might have to have a sit down you know with both of them and it's like hey chris don't ever throw that fucking kick again <laughs> and hey that's Al- number one and hey aljamain i know the kicks look good but what are they actually doing it's kind of like a Connor situation you know Connor I think reassessed his spin kick game after the Nate Diaz fight when he said it wasn't an efficient use of energy and I thought the same thing with Al Jermaine you know it's I don't know it just it, we we could sit here and pick it apart I don't mean to because so many prospects have losses early on in their career and, and, and that's what this was I think he's going to bounce back phenomenally yeah and, and in MMA it's not like boxing it's not like you lose one and you, you're done for right. the rest of your career and, you know every single uh, champion we have except for John Jones has has a loss on the record. And I do have to say too, I thought it was kind of cool on Caraway's part, it was like that gritty veteran who was very obviously not the better athlete that night um, but he found a way to win. Yep. And I think there's something very respectable in that. It, my question I was going to ask you also is where do you want to see Caraway go from here from a matchup perspective? Jeez, uh, that's a tough one for me. So I, I think it depends on uh, what goes down in the TJ Dillashaw Rafael Sunsau fight. Cause, he gets the loser? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not saying the loser. I'm saying so if a Sunsau wins, it wouldn't surprise me to see Caraway fight a Sunsau. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, uh, Sun Tzu, yeah, he already holds a win over TJ Dillashaw. How many months has he been away? What is he, 18 now or something like that? When was the last time we saw Rafael Sun Yeah, it's about 18 months. He broke his ankle. I think he had a fight scheduled with... It was it was a marquee fight, and he broke his ankle somewhere in early 2015. Yeah. So so without like absolutely decimating TJ Dillashaw, you know, if he squeaks by in a decision or something like that... I would see we we got to go with Caraway with somebody like that. Whereas if TJ Dillashaw wins, they're going to give him a title shot again. Uh, and then I wouldn't give Caraway somebody off a loss. Maybe that's when you get Garbrandt. And that's what I was just going to ask you, which is where do you take Garbrandt from here? He wants to fight at UFC 102 in Cleveland with his boy Stipe Miocic. He's apparently from Cleveland originally, even though he's a team alpha male fighter now. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, same thing. If... Uh, 
highly dependent on the TJ Dillashaw fight. If TJ wins, you could give him uh, Caraway and see what goes on. If a Sun Sao wins and you're going to match Caraway with a Sun Sao, you know, Garbrandt just looked damn impressive against the guy 21-0. and 0. Is there any reason we could say that he couldn't get a title shot? I mean, he's done more than Woodley has, right? <laughs> At this point in time, we give title shots I, to people who are intriguing. I, he's with, pretty freaking intriguing right now. I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I not, will say Not to th- mention, too, I'm, I'm just going to add in there, too. If a Sun Sao wins, it knocks the TJ Dillashaw out of the picture. I'm going to assume Cruz beats Faber this week. Uh, you know, can we throw one more alpha male guy at Dominic Cruz before all is said and done? I, well, there's definitely a, a storyline there. And then you also have to think, just from a pro wrestling narrative standpoint, Garbrandt versus uh, TJ in a grudge match it, is something that could happen as well. Yeah. Um, yeah depending on who loses there, as you said. But what I do want to say is I'd like to see Garbrandt one more high-profile fight. Don't want to see him... Th- you know, let's mature these prospects slow and steady. I agree with you 100%. My only issue with that is what happens when everybody's tied up in some way, shape, or form. Are we just going to give him a cupcake to give him the title shot? Because that doesn't seem relevant to me. Like, you know, I don't want to give him somebody he should just steamroll. So you don't want to pull a give Conor McGregor Dennis Seaver and yeah, then hand ex- him a title exactly. shot? Exactly, yeah. I don't. I don't want to feed him somebody like... I don't know who's lower in that division. Somebody like Brad Pickett, you know, like Brad Pickett, who's you know been around forever, not really sniffing a title shot. I wouldn't want to give him somebody like that. Understood completely. Um, other marquee fights from the night: 145 pound division. Uh, Jeremy Stevens uh, with the unanimous decision win over Henan Barrow. What do you think of Henan Barrow's 145 debut? I mean, I, I thought a lot of his problems at 135 just carried up. You know, everybody said he was going to be faster. Everybody said he was going to be stronger. Uh, it was a better weight class for him. I, I thought he looked exactly like he does at 35 when he's getting beat. Um, you know, his, his takedown game wasn't there. So if he can't take somebody down, what's his striking like? And the answer is if somebody's got good footwork, not a good enough. Um, you know, I, I think his striking's pretty mediocre once it comes down to it. You know, he, he was surprising people like Eddie Wineland, but Eddie Wineland is not an elite fighter anymore. So, yeah, his striking can look really good, but not against guys who have elite level striking, too. And Jeremy Stevens showed some really awesome uppercuts, some really good lead left hands. Um, and I think it, it made Burrow, you know, think twice about his striking and think twice about this division, too. Uh, yeah, I, well, I would say, you know, we said this last week on the podcast, too. It's tough to be welcomed to the 145-pound division by Stevens, who's a power puncher, a tough motherfucker, and a bigger 145. I thought, for the most part, Hennon's performance was pretty good, and I'd like to see him against some other guys, not a Jeremy Stevens type. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to get demolished at the weight. No, no, I don't think so either, but the, the big issue here is that the whole reason he moved to 45 is because he couldn't be a champ at 35 or he didn't think he could be a champ at 35 anymore. So you move to 45 just so you can win a championship again. And you fight a guy who's what, what was Jeremy Stevens ranked six, seven? Uh, so I think uh, he was top 10, but yeah, more towards that. Yeah. More towards the bottom end of the top 10. So like you're, you're not even a top 10 guy at 145. You know, you're definitely not any closer to a title shot at 45 than 35. I'm just wondering if the motivation is going to be there after a loss like that. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, I definitely want to see him against another top 10 guy, though, just because I do think the matchup Stevens is ranked number eight. He was number nine last week. So, yeah, just like we said, Um then out of here, are a couple of winners. Um, I don't think we have to go into the micro details of each of these fights. It was a good night of fights, though. But Felder picked up the win over Berkman. Lorenz Larkin picked up a win over Jorge Masvidal. Both deci- uh, decisions. Felder by unanimous. Larkin by split. Kamozi picked up a unanimous decision win. And our boy Rick Story picked up a win over Tarek Safadine after a long layoff. He looked pretty damn good. Too. Yeah. I, I like Who Rick. Rick Story's performance. I was going to say, who out of those four, whose performance are you most impressed yeah, by? Yeah, I, I was most impressed with Rick Story, uh, mostly because he just shrugged off those leg kicks, pushed forward, just classic Rick Story. If you've ever seen uh, his fight with Tiago Alves, it was pretty much that blueprint verbatim. You know, like, back him up against the cage. When he tries to work his way out, throw 700 body punches, 
rapid fire, and then get away. Then stick him against the cage. When he goes to break, throw 500 body punches again and get the hell out of there. And he did it, and it seemed like it wore Tarek down. Tarek's a tough cookie, too. Props to, to Rick Story. That's a, a heck of a notch on his belt. Yeah, both those guys um, I have a lot of respect for and look forward to seeing both of them fight again. And the last question I wanted to ask you was your boy Adam Milstead making his UFC debut. What were your takeaways from the young heavyweight prospect? My, my first thought was he gets hit too much. I mean, he got hit a lot. And, and you know, this is a guy who I came in touting. Uh, was loads faster than De La Rocha. I thought he was loads faster than De La Rocha, but he still took a lot of punches. And in that division, you can't take a lot of punches. So, uh, you know, I hope he, he goes back to camp and ensures that up before he fights again. But, a, you know, an exciting prospect. I think he's only like 27 years old, so it's good to see somebody who's that young in the heavyweight division have a somewhat promising uh, debut. I think the stoppage was crap, too. I think everybody could agree with that. That was kind of a weird stoppage. He like went to clinch him, and the referee pushed him off and, and waved it off. And I was like, of all of the times you could have stopped that fight, that was like the one moment you couldn't. It he was had, like the one moment Chris De La Rocha in the, the third or second round, right? Second round it was finished. Yeah. The one time in the second round where he looked like he was trying to grab onto him. Yeah, I uh I mean he took a lot of damage, so I think the it was coming. It just it he was just a little premature. Yeah, it was on, just a weird on, moment. Uh, a weird moment on the stoppage. Um so that kind of wraps up Fight Night 88. There was one bit of news before we cut to our interview and break down 199 on the other side of the break. Uh, there was one other thing I did want to bring up this week, and I, I might end up on a mini rant here, so bear with <laughs> me. But the UFC announced that they're going to be sending um, Bob Meyerowitz into their UFC Hall of Fame. Oh, I and, know exactly what you're going to say. And <laughs> I just have to take such motherfucking issue with this. Quick has history lesson here. Bob Meyerowitz was the SEG, SEG, the original owners of the UFC, a uh, pay-per-view company back in the early 90s. He was the executive that basically okayed the UFC. But the UFC's, the UFC, the brainchild of the UFC, the person who actually created the UFC, whose idea it was for the UFC, was Art motherfucking Davey. And the fact that he is not the first person in the UFC Hall of Fame is such a disgrace. There would be no UFC without Art Davey. It was his original idea. Putting Meyerowitz in before him, to me, I know people get so up in arms about Hall of Fame stuff, and I always tell them to calm down who gives a fuck, baseball, until, football. Until it's your Hall of Fame. But right? <laughs> until it's something I really care about, and I just think it is so disrespectful. And you know what? Art Davies a classy guy. He probably will just say, good for Bob. But how is the actual inventor, the person who came up with the idea for the UFC, not in the Hall of Fame first? Yeah, I see where you're going with this. The only, uh, the only kind of uh, defense I'll give the UFC on this one is that they seem like they're rolling out their Hall of Famers one by one this go-round, right? They, they talked about Big Nogue the other day. Now they're adding uh, Bob here. Meyerowitz. Is there any chance that they're just saving Art Davies I, as the last one well, or the that, next one? No, or like, well, this is why I think no, because he's going in the special contributors wing. So Mask Lewis. Do they and, do? Do they only do one? I a year? think they only do one a year for so the contributors that's, that's wing. That's freaking weird. Then. Yeah, and Art Davies an older guy. I've seen this before as a professional wrestling fan. They put Macho Man Randy Savage in the Hall of Fame after he died, which is a slap in the face to him. Yeah, his, his fans. Family. You want to see yeah. the guy go in, you know, and be honored for it. Again, he's a friend of the show. His book is one of the best MMA books I've ever read. And I just thought that was so disgraceful that the, this idiot who didn't even get the concept, no offense to Bob Meyerowitz and his family, but you know he was just a pay-per-view executive looking to put something on. He knew would draw eyeballs. You know, he didn't even get the concept. Yeah, we'll we'll have to uh, so so we'll have to uh, contact Art Davies back again because uh, I know he said he wanted to come back on the show sometime in the near future. So maybe we'll get him on uh, sometime and see if we can get his thought process behind what's going on there. I like it. All right. Well, we will now transition to our interview. We got a chance to catch up with Mehdi Baghdad. Uh, Mehdi Baghdad came off the uh, Faber versus Conor McGregor Ultimate Fighter and season. he's got a real big fight coming up with John McDessie, too, which is a heck of an exciting stand-up war, and he's going to tell you exactly how exciting it's going to be. Uh, and we will hear that interview after we give a word from our sponsor, New England Submission Fighting, the home gym of myself and Gumby. 
a Amherst, Massachusetts MMA gym, the oldest MMA gym in Massachusetts uh, since 1993, brings you our interview with Mehdi Baghdad. You can check out the website, AmherstMMA.com, classes six days a week. If you're in or around the area, head on over, tell them Dave and Gumby sent you. You'll be treated with a hug, a smile, a kiss, and a choke. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with Mehdi Baghdad right now. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Dave Tremonti and Top Turtle MMA, and we are talking today with UFC lightweight Mehdi Bogdad, who fights at UFC Fight Night Dos Anjos versus Alvarez on July 7th. So, uh, Mehdi, let's get into a, a little bit of the, the background of uh, your training. So, uh, you were on Team McGregor for uh, The Ultimate Fighter 22. Um, obviously, he's all over the news these days. Uh, what was it like working with him while you were on the show? And, uh, you know, do you have any, like, outside insight into what he's actually like? I was training, yeah, I was training a, a lot with him uh inside uh, the the show and uh, and sometimes when he's come here in Hermosa Beach because I live in LA uh, I train a little bit with him so yeah no so it's, it's, um, it's good train with him it's really good uh, training with him oh that's so that's exciting that you get to train with him sometimes too um you you also said you've you've done some training with Anderson Silva, obviously being with Black House. Um, obviously, with his injury recently, he's out a little bit more. But are you still working with him leading up to your fight with uh, Mac Desi? Yeah, but um, Anderson Silva is. Uh, I was doing uh, the training camp with him uh, at the Muay Thai College, and uh, three weeks uh, before his fight, he left in Brazil. But uh, here we have a really good train. Uh, I train kind of everywhere. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu with uh, Nino Chambry, uh, my wrestling with uh, a big team here in uh, Church Boy, and um, my Muay Thai uh, with uh, Daniel Verman, uh, my French uh, coach. So we have a, a really good, um, really good fighter here, and I train here in uh, Muay Thai College. Oh, okay. And you know, you mentioned you're obviously a big advocate for French MMA. Give us a little insight. How far has the perception of MMA come in France? What's it like now, the MMA scene in France? You know what? Uh, a lot of people waiting for, for MMA's legal in France. You have like a 280 uh, team. You have more than 40,000 uh, 40, uh, 40, people uh, training and maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe 200,000 people watching. So everybody were waiting for and just we we went for the government say say just yes you so every day uh, we start to push the mma for friends i represent mma friends too and uh, what we need we need a kind of a champion so when all mma french fighters is going to be a little bit big now we, we 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 try to be big so we train a lot so when we we're starting to to going to be big i guess the MMA is going to be legal in France. Yeah, and, and so you mentioned that, you know, what France really needs is a French MMA champion. How much pressure do you feel when you step into the cage to be that, like, you know, flag bearer for France and for French MMA? I, I don't have uh, too much pressure because, you know what, I, I, I train about 12 years. Uh, I live in Brazil for three years. Uh, I live here in America, uh, in California, about the five years. So I'm kind of... Uh, a world, uh, world person. So, so for me, it's not like I, I just from France and I just came here and fighting. It's like I'm, I, I went around the world for for training. So I don't have any pressure for this. But I try to just try to to give my best for all my fights. Represent all French, and I have a part Arabic, so I, I represent all Arabic fighter too. Yeah, well, so you certainly are well traveled in that regard. So let's talk a little bit about your time in the UFC. So you started. Uh, with a uh, short notice fight against Chris Wade, who is on a three-fight win streak, um, and and went on to to take a fourth fight there, uh, and now you're fighting John McDessie, who's got 11 UFC fights already. Uh, you know, what is your thought coming out of the gate with two such like grizzly veterans, uh, and, and you just getting only your second fight in the UFC? But you know what? Just my first fight. This is Chris Wade, excellent fighter, a really good wrestler. Uh, I know what's ready. I know what's training. Uh, just I have this opportunity to fight in UFC, and I, I, a lot of people are waiting for. So I, I'm not going to say, "Oh no, I'm not ready." I, I have to lose uh, 24 pounds. No, I say just yes. I don't care. But 
I know I'm going to be ready for the the other fight. So now UFC give me uh, excellent fighter John McDessy is a good striker. So I guess it's going to be a really good fight for me because I'm a striker too. So it's going to be a, a big war. So this is kind of kind of kind of uh, what kind of a fight I love for give for the fan what they want. A big war, big show. Yeah, and I, I was just going to ask that too. Um, as a uh, guy with a Muay Thai background, and you know you're a Muay Thai world champion, it, do you prefer to fight strikers over grapplers? I mean, obviously, you know people who are, are heavy wrestlers sometimes uh, tend to make the game a little bit more boring. Do you prefer to fight somebody like John McDessy? But you know what, me, I really, I fight for the fan. I don't fight for me. If I fight for me, I try to put the guy on the ground. I try to move a lot, just jab, jab, right. And, and I want some point. I just fight for the fan, for make a big KO or a crazy a big show with the blood, with elbow. So, yeah, for sure, the guy for, like Mark Desi is perfect for me. If some guy wants to fight. So, I love this kind of fighter. Yeah, striking is, is, a, is a bad thing. So, people wait for... For big show on striking. Now, with that being said, and you're obviously a highly accomplished striker, is the grappling component uh, what you've been working on the most? Is that something you worry about when you do eventually run into someone who's going to be a very heavy grappler? No, because I, I train uh, about uh, 11, 12 years now in jiu-jitsu, so I'm, I'm not worried uh, to go on the ground. Or my wrestling action with the best wrestler in the world with Dan Henderson at Team Quest for five years. So I'm not, I'm not worried about all, all, uh, all this ground game. So some people think I'm not have a good jiu-jitsu because about my last fight, but uh, you need to watch all the other fights I did. So I'm, I'm good on the ground. Uh, I just lost my first submission in my life. It was just a cruise way because I, I have six days to, to be prepared and to lose 24 pounds. I was, I was dying when, when I was fighting. So I, I, I like to go on the ground too. I have a good ground game and a good submission. I have three wins by submission. So yeah, but what I want is just have a fun and make uh, uh, the fun happy. Yeah, and, and obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of uh, some of the smaller promotions. In your time in RFA, you certainly showed off that you had plenty of ground skills. Um, but that, that's something you, you don't have any interest of when we see you on July 7th. What we're going to see come July 7th is, is blood and gore, right? Yeah, it's going to be a big war, and, and I'm happy to find John McDessie like because he's a, he's a tough guy, and he's going to, for the war too, so he's a... We have the same mentality, and it's going to be a big war, and, and we're going to fight for the fun, and the fun is going to love uh, us. Well, there you have it. That's, uh, this is a fight to get excited about, because we have just been promised a stand-up war. So we will see John McDessie versus Mehdi Baghdad on July 7th on Fight Pass. It's on the Dos Anjos versus Alvarez card. And uh, Mehdi, we can't thank you enough for the time, and we wish you luck in the fight. Thank you, you, and... Uh, I say hi for all my fi, my fans. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and I can't wait to show you guys to to excellent fighter I am. All right, there you have it, Gumby Medi Baghdad. Yeah, gotta love a guy who will promise you violence come fight night. And I think with the matchup with uh, John McDessey, you've got to assume that he's going to fulfill that promise. I don't see either of those two trying to shoot a takedown. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> it will be a striker battle. Um, we will transition now to our preview of UFC 199. We are getting so close to UFC 200. Isn't it exciting? Uh, this was supposed to be Luke Rockhold versus my boy Chris Weidman, but a neck injury prevented Weidman from making the fight. Michael Bisping stepped in on short notice. This will be an express preview for us because I was on vacation all week and we were late getting it out. So this will be a little quicker than uh, we are used to giving the fans of Top Turtle MMA, but here we go nonetheless. Uh, Luke Rockhold, the newly crowned middleweight UFC champion, is coming off a uh, fourth round TKO win over Chris Weidman. Brutal beatdown at the end of the third round. Um, won him the title, though, in the fourth round. Uh, Herb Dean had to call a stop to the fight. 
he beat Machida before that via rear naked choke and beat a guy by the name of Michael Bisping before that in November of 2014 via guillotine choke in the second round. Got the better of their exchanges on the feet in the first round, I do recall. Uh, Bisping, on the other hand, he is coming off of a win over MMA legend Anderson, the Spider Silva. Um, it was a tight decision, but the right decision. This was back in March in London, in his hometown, and I do not believe he would have gotten this title shot had he not beat Silva in March. He's finally getting his title shot after 10 years in the UFC. He's on a three-fight win streak, beat the Outlets via split decision before the Anderson-Silva fight, beat CB Dalloway via unanimous decision before that. Gumby, who do you have? So I I think you got to go with Rockhold. I think anybody with smart money is going with Rockhold. I just don't see any progression in Michael Bisping that would make him look any different than the last time. And last time was nothing short of a one-sided beatdown. You know, and, you know, not to take anything away from his win from Silva again, uh, but we talked about it right after the fight happened. You know, no part of that fight made me be like, wow, Michael Bisping, right? Right. The only thing that I kept saying was like, wow, Anderson Silva can end his life whenever he wants and then just being frustrated that he wouldn't end his life. Silva was trigger shy. Yeah, exactly. And, and it wasn't that like Bisping like was hitting him hard. He was just higher volume. More, you're going to have to be more than high volume against Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold's got amazing reach, great striking, and as we've seen in in a couple of recent fights, both. Uh, Machida and Bisping fights, he's got a great ground game. And, and uh, the, I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's the whole thing here. You mentioned the in the Bisping fight. We just saw this fight a year and a half ago, and to your earlier point, Bisping hasn't changed that much in these past three wins. Beating CB Dalloway does nothing for me. Beating Tialis Latis, okay. And beating an older um, Anderson Silva, you know, hey, impressive, good for him. I'm happy for Michael Bisping. I think this was the only way he was going to get a title shot anyway. So, you know what? Puncher's chance, but Luke Rockhold, you're my... But the other thing about Puncher's chance, too, because I've heard a couple of people say that, too. Does he have legitimate KO power? No. When was the last time you saw Michael Bisping knock somebody out? I, I'm with you. I'm I just, can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm going to be honest with I, you. I guess when I say puncher's chance, it's a cliche, but I mean, I more mean to say anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, but, Rockhold could eat an accidental knee. I don't know. Yeah, or like slip and fall and knock himself out. Like, uh, what was it, Junior Dos Santos kind of like knocked himself out that time? Right. <laughs> um, Luke Rockhold is your minus 650 favorite for good reason. As high as... 50. Yeah, well, as uh, Bavada minus 750 and on Sportsbook minus 850. Um, and uh, Bisping about a plus four seventy five across the board, dog. Yeah, I don't, I don't want any part of that action, even with the five to one odds there. We'll move on to the co-main event, uh, which is for the bantamweight title, uh, a grudge match, if you will, the rubber match actually. Uh, Uriah Faber versus Dominic Cruz. I was very outspoken about Faber not deserving this title shot. I think they made it because they thought it was the money fight of the division. Um, After all the rematches we've seen, if there was ever a time to give someone a rematch, I thought it should have been TJ Dillashaw, the former champion who lost to Dominic Cruz via split decision back in January. But it is what it is. Here we are, Faber versus Dominic Cruz for a third time. You might be saying to yourself, uh, what has Faber done to earn this title shot recently? Well, I will tell you. He beat Frankie Signs via unanimous decision in December. Got rocked in that fight early on. Before that... Yeah, I thought Signs won the first right yep <laughs> uh before that frankie edgar beat uh uriah faber so that was he suffered a loss to frankie edgar uh and beat francisco rivera via bulldog choke before that and if i do recall that was the uh eye poke uh francisco rivera that he he challenged right yep so you're looking at a guy who's two and one including a unanimous decision loss uh to frankie edgar i didn't give him one round in that fight if i remember correctly rocked by frankie science came back to win it uh i poked francisco rivera and here we are he gets a title shot against motherfucking dominic cruz um but hey it is what it is and this is modern day life in the ufc cruz of course was coming off a very long layoff came back and beat tj dillashaw via split decision in january uh beat takeya mizagaki about a year and a half prior to that via ko punches and before his longest layoff back in 2011 going back uh three fights ago to 2011 beat demetrius johnson so he is on a 
Um, oh, geez. Like a freaking 12 fight or 13 yeah. fight win streak. He's on that. three, six, nine, 12 fight win streak. Yeah. Who you got? Uh, so I'm going to go with Dominic Cruz, obviously. I think the footwork's too much for Faber. I think we've seen it time and time again. When Faber beat Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz wasn't the fighter he was now. He and, caught and, him with a guillotine choke and strike force very uh, early. WEC, right? Sorry, WEC very early on in his career. Yeah, and, and it was a mistake that, that Dominic Cruz has been very sure never to make again. You know, Dominic Cruz has just gotten better and better and better and better. He's, like, basically invented his own style of fighting or him and his coaches Neo have. Neo footwork. Neo footwork. And, uh, you know, I just think it's going to be too much for Faber. That being said, I give Faber a way better shot here than I give Bisping. Yes. I, I think that he's got a lot of tools. I mean, he does have a very good guillotine choke. He's got very good chokes in general. Yes. You know, we've seen it in a lot of fights. And on top of that, too, he does have pretty decent power, too. So in that sense, I give him a lot better of a chance than Bisping. Um, you know, and, and plus, obviously, we've seen Dominic Cruz be hurt a bunch of times. So you, he could obviously exploit an injury, too. So if you can get crazy odds on, on Faber... I would take him. Well, funny you should ask, because Uriah Faber is about a plus 385, as low as plus 325 dog, as high as uh, plus 400 in some sports books. Cruz, the minus 485 uh, favorite. Plus 400 starts to make it tempting. I was kind of hoping for something similar in the Bisping range that was like plus 600. Um, but it's certainly worth like you know considering just throwing down a few bucks on and seeing if you can call the upset you know and and you can probably get some special odds in there too uh, if you call you know like favor to submit dominant Cruz. you could probably get that at like eight to one yeah and let's also not forget that uh favor is O and six in title fights this is the last hurrah oh, if you oh will, and six in when he's the challenger for oh. title fights so uh, That's you know, brutal. this is it, man. You know, this is the last one. No yeah. more title shots after this. Is he? Would he be the first? I, I mean, I think it would be Owen five in the UFC, right? Uh, I believe that is correct. Yeah, he he's got to be the first Owen five in the UFC if he loses this one. Yeah, I can't think I feel of anybody like, who's lost even close to that. Uh, has Henderson? Well, I know Henderson. Has I don't the, think five though. No, right? no, no, no. I'm just trying to think of guys with like I mean, three or four. Um. Yeah, I, but yeah, that's I mean, a lot of freaking losses. It's going to be Faber is going to hold the record for uh, for most title that, shot that, ladies losses. Ladies and gentlemen, is a distinction you do not want. No, no, it is not. Um, so now we'll actually, uh, and I think you summed up everything you wanted to say there, yeah, right? Yeah, Do- I mean, it, Dominic Cruz all day, one way. Yeah. Uh, now a very exciting fight on the card. Uh, you have Max Holloway. This is at 145 pounds, taking on Ricardo Lamas. Uh, Lamas is coming off. A um a win over Diego Sanchez when Sanchez made a brutal weight cut down to 145. Lamas lost to Chad Mendez via TKO before that in April of 2015, and he beat Dennis Bermudez before that. So he is two and one in his last three. Holloway on the other side uh, is on a awesome win streak. He has won. Uh, eight in a row, beat Jeremy Stevens via unanimous decision back in December, beat Charles Oliveira via TKO before that, and beats Cub Swanson via guillotine choke back in April of 2015. So he was actually 4-0 and in uh, 2015. Who you got here, Gumby? You know, Max Holloway is pretty much like the Ben Rothwell of the 45 division. I keep doubting him. And I think half the time it's just because he doesn't look all that tough, right? He's like a stringy kid with like a you know kind of a small mustache like he can't grow a better one than that and he he looks really unassuming right so you're impugning max holloway's fighting ability because of his mustache i I think that's what i keep doing okay i mean i've picked against him i think every single time in the last year and i'm not gonna do it again uh because i mean Think about how good Jeremy Stevens just looked against freaking Henan Burrell. Yes. And Holloway smoked him. You know, like Holloway had his way with him. So, you know, I I think that Holloway's game is so well-rounded now, and it has been since he lost to Conor McGregor, that I think that this is a really good fight for him, too, in that, you know, Lamas kind of, like, forces him to bring the action. I mean, Lamas comes right at you no matter what. This could be a really good match for him to showcase all that he's got. Because if he tags somebody like Ricardo Lamas, or if he uh, is able to fend off all of the pressure from Ricardo Lamas, he's definitely going to be deserving of at least the talk for a title shot. And it's crazy to say that he needs this fight to do it, you know, because he's on that eight-fight win streak. 
but he needs that fight where somebody is taking the action to him and he's dealing with it. And I think that this is the first time he could do that. I do think we will see some uh, awesome amount of violence in this fight. Yeah, I, I think that this is going to be really violent. And I think that that's the kind of fight he needs to take him from like a fringe title challenger to a title challenger, period. Well said. Max Holloway, the minus 325 uh, favorite in most sports book. You could get Lamas as a plus 265, highest plus 275 dog. Uh, we will move now to the middleweight offering on the card, and you actually have Hector Lightning Lombard uh, making his uh, middleweight debut in the UFC, coming up in weight after suffering a did loss. He, did he not fight once there before? Um, I thought he fought once there before they when he first cracked in. I could be wrong. Oh, you might be right. Uh, against Markhart, maybe? Yeah, or, I think Nate Markhart. I think they were both 85ers then. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe or Tim Bosch. Tim Bosch. Yeah, yep. there so he did fight once then. Okay. Uh, so coming back to 185, yep. excuse me, uh, and this is also off. coming off uh, his being popped for the roid, so not sure what's really involved there. If maybe making the weight cut is too tough now, or I don't know. Just You always have to assume sketchy stuff's going on with Hector Lombard. He is coming off a loss to Neil Magny via TKO in the third round. Crazy fight. That was back in March. Uh, beat Josh Berkman before that, uh, last January, 2015, but it was overturned cause he popped for the roids, uh, beat Jake Shields before that via unanimous decision. So he has one win, one, no contest and one loss. He will be fighting the legend and possibly his last fight ever. Dan Hendo Henderson. Uh, I'll be sad to see him go. He's the oldest fighter in the UFC right now, though, at age 45, he's coming off a loss to Vitor Belfort KO in the first round. Beat Tim Bosch with the H-bomb before that, a KO in the first round of his own right, and lost to Gegard Mousasi via TKO in the first round before that. So no Henderson fights have seen the second round uh, since uh, 2014. Uh, Henderson is 1-2 and two in his last three. Who are you taking here? I, You know, maybe it's just the nostalgia kicking in here, but I want to go with Dan Henderson, uh, and partly because... You know, there is so much on the line for him being possibly his last fight of all time. But also, if you just think about, like, what method do you expect, you know, Hector Lombard to employ that would beat Dan Henderson? You know, like, if, if I'm trying to think of things, you know, could he stand and trade with him and, you know, win a decision that way? Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't like his chances standing in front of Dan Henderson for three straight rounds. You know, could he knock out Dan Henderson? I don't know. Is his, is his knockout blows look good enough to knock anybody out recently? Well, he did rock Magny in that first round. Yeah, okay. So he rocked Magny. But, like, in the same token, you know, like, okay, then he's going to have to, you know, land on a who's probably a better striker, Dan Henderson. You know, like, not that Magny's not a good striker, but he's not a very technical striker, right? I mean, not that Dan Henderson isn't 45 anymore either. And I don't see him taking Dan Henderson down either. I mean, like, he's good at judo, but Dan Henderson's, a, you know, a hell of a wrestler. It sounds like you're trying to justify to yourself you really want to take Henderson. I here. really do want to take Henderson in this one. And not to mention, I, we've said the words puncher's chance like eight times here. Is there anybody else who's ever had a better puncher's chance in fucking every fight he's ever had than Dan Henderson? Of course not. I mean, that right hand, it's legendary. I mean, ask Michael Bisping. <laughs> Agreed. I, I mean, I'm definitely taking Lombard here, but I my heart says H-bomb as well, and I'd love to see it. Yeah, I mean, it, if you are not rooting for Dan Henderson to land it, at the fight. You're just not American. You're, you're just not American. You're a terrorist. <laughs> uh, Henderson is the plus 335 dog. Lombard uh, as high as a minus 420 favorite. Uh, about f Averaging about uh, minus 385 in most sports books. But you've got to say it like, you know, even though you're picking, you know, Lombard in this one, at plus 325, Henderson's at least intriguing. Oh, for, yes. You know, I mean, like absolutely. three to one odds on a guy who could knock out anybody in the division with one punch. For sure. Um, we'll move now to the 155-pound offering. You have Bobby King Green taking on Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Bobby Green coming off a loss to Edson Barbosa back in November of 2014. We haven't seen him in over a year and a half. He beat Josh Thompson before that and beat Pat Healy before that, both via decision. So he is 2-1 and one in his last three. Uh, Dustin Poirier has looked great since coming to 155. He's coming off a big win over Joe Duffy. Uh, back in January via unanimous decision, beat Yancey Medeiros before that via TKO and beat Carlos Diego Ferreira before that via KO in the first round. 
and then if you want to go way back uh, four fights ago, he lost to a guy by the name of Conor McGregor. Wonder what happened to him. Uh, but Poirier is on a three-fight win streak since that loss to McGregor. Who are you taking? I love Poirier at 55. I think he's legitimately close to being a contender in that division uh, because you know I, I think he was losing a little bit of his power down at 45. And now that he's got a little bit back, he's able to integrate more parts of his game. You're seeing him integrate more takedowns. You're seeing him use more of his grappling, that kind of stuff. So I think that this is a good spot for him. Uh, Bobby Green you know, got a lot of hype behind him after he beat Pat Healy and then beat Josh Thompson because they seem like big wins at the time. But now that you're looking back, you know, it was a long time ago. And what happened to Pat Healy and Josh Thompson? I mean, like, they're not with the company anymore. Right. Uh, you know, so a long layoff, coming off a loss to Barboza, who is not as well-rounded as, as Dustin Poirier. I mean, this is a bad fight for Bobby Green, for sure. Bad fight. All right. So Gumby is taking Poirier all day. I agree. Um, and if you want to know what the odds are, uh, you would have to look really hard because, for some reason, I cannot find them. Hmm. What a predicament. Uh, I mean, best fight odds than that? Or no. Huh. Like, really, people? Of all of the fights, too. Like, that's kind of an intriguing one that I might want to find some odds on. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm just an idiot. It was third from the top. Okay, here we go. We're back, people. We're back. <laughs> Dustin Poirier, the minus 220 favorite to Bobby Green, a plus 180 dog. So, actually, on the main card of the five fights we have now discussed, that is actually the closest odds. Yeah, and it, it does seem like all of the fights on the main card are lining up to be one-sided. Um, I would definitely look for at least one underdog in there to land because, you know, it's very rare you see a main card go to go right to chalk. Um, and, and, you know, this isn't the one I wouldn't say. So I would look for that Dan Henderson H-bomb. So there you go. Gumby likes Hendo. He loves Poirier. He loves your guy, uh, Dominic Cruz. He loves your guy, Luke Rockhold. And he very much likes Max Holloway via violence. All right, so now that we have uh, Gumby's take on the main card, and because we're doing a bit of an express uh, Top Turtle MMA podcast here this week due to my vacation, let's go lightning round Gumby. What are you looking at for the undercard this week? Uh, what intrigues you? Who do you like? So one of the things, especially if you're betting, you should look at is uh, Clay Guida. Clay Guida may be one of the most underrated 155-pounders in history. I mean, this is a guy who held the Strikeforce title, has wins over Anthony Pettis. Um, and plenty of other big names in the division. He's fighting undefeated prospect Brian Ortega, who at one point in time was being called like the future of the division. Um, I believe he had some trouble with a banned substance. Uh, since that, he's looked kind of shaky. He's won two in a row, uh, but he's been taken down in both of those fights, including uh, when he fought Tiago Tavares, he was taken down six of 11 times, uh, according to Fight Metric. Uh, for me, I think that spells that Clay Guida's got an excellent route to victory here. Um, he's one of those guys who you never know which guy he's going to show up, so he's always risky to bet on. But Clay Guida is uh, is a hell of a pick here. All right, that's very interesting. Couldn't disagree with you more. I have Brian Ortega all day. I think he works great off his back, and I'd love to see him sub Clay Guida off some sort of takedown. Easier said than done, of course. Uh, Ortega, the minus 275 favorite. Clay Guida, about a plus 225 dog in most sports books. I, I definitely agree with you. He does work awesome off of his back, but at that same time, you know, it's Clay Guida. You never know which one of them is going to show up. Um, another really exciting one that you could watch on there too is uh, Cole Miller, Alex Caceres, two guys with uh, very similar styles, kind of funky stand up, um, both really good on the ground if it ever goes there, but they don't seem to shoot the takedown to go there. Um, this is also a fight that started off uh, Dennis Seaver versus BJ Penn and wound up Cole Miller versus uh, Alex Caceres. You're right, uh, because Miller stepped up and when Seaver went down, and now Caceres stepped up when BJ Penn went down. Yeah, so, and, and I think it's a fun fight just because they're both really long, lanky. Uh, Cole Miller a little bit more technical, Alex Caceres a little bit more funky. Definitely a fun one to watch. I'd probably pick Cole Miller just on the experience level here, um, but Caceres is is a hell of a fun fighter to watch too. Uh, I'm going Cole Miller all day on that. If anyone cares, uh, Miller the minus 185 uh, favorite, uh, Caceres about a plus 160 dog. Uh, another really exciting one too. The the ladies on the prelim card, uh, Jessica Penne fighting Jessica Andrade. Uh, Andrade. Cutting down to 115 pounds for the first time in her UFC career. Uh, she had a little bit of trouble up at 135, but she had looked really good at times up there. Penne, uh, of course, 
a former title challenger who just absolutely got crushed in her title shot is a really exciting fighter at 115 pounds. Uh, you know, it's just like hard for people to, to shake that image of her getting crushed. But I think that this is a fun grappler versus striker. Although Penny's got some awesome grappling too. Um, and, and Andrade has got some good striking too. So two really well-rounded uh, fighters trying to kind of find their spot in a division that's full. And who are you picking? I'm going to pick Penne. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of her body of work. She she's got really good ground game. Um, she works out of a Lions Jiu Jitsu, uh, which obviously you know tons of great fighters, including the headliner Dominic Cruz on on this card. Um, so she's got good training partners. I pick her all time. And Penne, the minus minus one forty five favorite to Andrade, the plus one twenty five dog for those keeping track at home. So the the last one I'm kind of going to throw out there too, uh, just as like one of my favorites on this. If you're going back to the fight pass prelims, um, Sean Strickland versus Tom Breeze. Sean Strickland is a is a really fun prospect in that division. Um, he he recently, uh, well not recently, but three fights ago had one of his first setbacks against Santiago Ponzinibbio, um, and kind of took a little bit of the uh, the wind out of his sails. Uh, but he's going to be fighting Tom Brees, who was one of my most exciting prospects in this division uh, up until his last win, which was super lackluster in London. Um, but he's a really good puncher. He's He's got a hell of a game, whereas um, Strickland's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. So another one of those kind of like style makes fights uh, battles. And, and, you know, I like Strickland in this one uh, because he's a guy who, who brings a, a more well-rounded game. Yeah, Strickland, the plus 125 dog. Breeze, a slight minus 135, about as high as 145 favorite in most sports books. And, and, and for me, that's a tough one, too, because Breeze just got taken down a bunch in his last fight. Was it Kite Nakamura who fought him? I'm trying to remember exactly. I'm pretty sure it was Kite Nakamura. Um, and he got taken down a bunch of times by Nakamura. Um, so for, for to pick somebody like Strickland, who's got... It was Kate Nakamura. I just looked it up. Um, so uh, to to have a guy like Strickland who's so so much better than Nakamura in takedowns and not expect him to get him uh, is just silly to me. So I would pick Strickland. Nice underdog pick there, too. I'll tell you a fight I'm really looking forward to, um, and that's my guy James, the Texecutioner Vic, on a five-fight win streak. He's going to be taking on Benil Darouche. Um, both of them are really coming off of... Um, uh, short notice fights here because uh, Darush fought on the Fox 19 card on April 16th. Vic fought on the Jones St. Prue card the week before. Uh, Darush was a loser to Michael Chiesa, but looked good in the first round. Seemed like he had some improved striking. Beat Michael Johnson, beat Jim Miller before that, so he's 2-1 and one in his last three. Vic is on a five-fight win streak, criminally underrated uh, in the division. What are you thinking? I think I agree with you that Vic's criminally underrated, but at the same time, I think that this step up's too much for him. Uh, I think Darush, working out of King's MMA, has got some freaking awesome training partners there and it, it shows every single time he comes out he's got a new wrinkle in his striking and he is a world-class grappler so uh to have a guy who's getting better at striking and is already that good at grappling is dangerous yeah i think i tend to agree with you this could be the first bump in the road for the vic express um but uh, I don't know. You know, Vic, I think, is a plucky underdog a lot of times, and he is an underdog here, a plus 170 underdog to Darush, the minus 200 and favorite. I, he's another one of those guys, too, who I've picked against chronically and just always wind up wrong. I picked against him when he fought uh, Ranzi Nijem, and he submitted Ranzi Nijem in, like, I don't know, 48 seconds or something like that and just opened my eyes. Kid's got a guillotine choke. All right, I think that kind of takes care of the uh, the big kind of marquee fights. Is there anyone else we should look out for, anyone else you're looking forward to, or I mean, King Kevin Casey on the prelims, uh, you never know quite what to think about him. Uh, Polo Reyes. Polo Reyes was, uh, you know, getting his, his ass kicked in his first UFC fight and pulled a flying knee KO out of nowhere. He'll be fighting so, Dong Young Kim. Not stun gun Dong Young Kim, maestro Dong Young Kim. Good clarification. Uh, and King Casey's fighting Elvis Mutopchik, who's, uh, you know, he's also a really fun fighter um, fighting out of uh, Bosnia. Um, but, yeah, e either of those guys, fun to watch. All right, fair enough. Well, we thank you so much for listening. As always, we will be back next week uh, reacting off of UFC 199, and I'm sure we'll bring you a bunch of other good shit. This has been Top Turtle MMA Podcast, Episode 21. I'm David Tremonti. He was Gumby Vreeland. Thanks for listening.